Hello and welcome to Poetry Blokes, the podcast where one bloke likes poetry and the other doesn't. I'm Matthew Adamo, failed novelist, third-rate poet, and now a beleaguered poetry teacher. And I'm Rich Gochran, a moderately successful engineer and lifelong lover of things that actually matter, like football, cricket, and the ability to make stuff out of wood. I don't hate poetry, but I do think it's a lot of words, in a confusing order, to say very little. Join us in this series of podcasts as we rummage into the recesses of Rich's mind, pull forth any literary force that may be lying dormant, and see if the world's most literal man can acquire the soul of a poet. He doesn't even believe in souls, so I've got my work cut out already. This week we're looking at The Passionate Shepherd to His Love by Christopher Marlowe. Come live with me and be my love, and we will all the pleasures prove that valleys, groves, hills and fields, woods or steepy mountain yields. And we will sit upon the rocks, seeing the shepherds feed their flocks by shallow rivers to whose falls melodious birds sing madrigals. And I will make thee beds of roses and a thousand fragrant posies, a cap of flowers and a kirtle embroidered all with leaves of myrtle. A gown made of the finest wool, which from our pretty lambs we pull, fair-lined slippers for the cold, with buckles of the purest gold. A belt of straw and ivy buds, with coral clasps and amber studs. And if these pleasures may thee move, come live with me and be my love. The shepherd swains shall dance and sing for thy delight each May morning. If these delights thy mind may move, then live with me and be my love. So, Rich, what's that all about? Hello, mate. Hi. <laughs> this takes us back to a little genre I like to call the sexy letter. All the way back. It takes us all. The, that's what this podcast is based on, the sexy it letter. It was, yeah. Not from me to Matt or vice versa. If you haven't listened to the first episode, it's all about a sexy letter. And we're back at the Sexy Letters, so that's exciting. I'm a fan of the Sexy Letter. I think it's a lost art form. What is sexting these days? That's happening to somebody else, I think. It's not happening to oh. me or you. So. It's been a very long lockdown, that's all I can say. <laughs> Barren. <laughs> you should write some more Sexy Letters. Yeah, maybe I should. When the world leaves lockdown, fair lady... <laughs> I'll meet you anywhere. Just give me a time. <laughs> I'll literally meet you anywhere. <laughs> please, please meet with me. So yeah, sexy letter. Well, it's a letter from Christopher Marlowe, presumably. It's to somebody. Don't know who. Doesn't really make it clear who it's to. He doesn't use any pronouns. Maybe it's an open letter. To anybody. <laughs> maybe he's like, yeah. Maybe, maybe he's just going to nail it up to the notice board in the middle of a town. Yeah, maybe. That's a very good point. Because, yeah, it's very open. It could be to anybody. It's basically like, <laughs> yeah, somebody come and live with me. I promise you I'll do all these things. That's a really good point. So I thought, well, there's no pronoun, so it could be a man or a woman. Don't know. Well, the funny thing is with all of these sort of romanticised, idyllic sort of poems of this era, I mean, it's called The Passionate Shepherd to His Love, so you have to assume, given the time and the context, that it's probably a, a male shepherd writing to a lady. Or a sheep. Uh, but also, there's an assumption here that, or a sheep, 
<laughs> you have to assume here that the shepherd is literate, and not only literate, but fully versed in the ways of poetry of this era. Yeah. So I always find that quite funny anyway. The, this notion of a shepherd being on sort of a barren hillside or something with his flock, but he's got a quill <laughs> and a roll of papyrus. Table. He's just going to knock out a brief missive to his lady. And then what's he going to do? Does he like tie it to a sheep and go, go and give this to Sarah? To be honest, I'm surprised that a shepherd's got time to be doing this sort of nonsense. My understanding, watching, what's it called? Our Yorkshire Farm or wherever it is on Channel 5, which is an absolutely superb programme. <laughs> There's no time in the day for this sort of stuff. You've got to, you're up at bloody 4am. And, you know, bed late. So I don't know where he's finding the time to pen letters and to do all the things he's claiming he's going to do. So I do have some issues with this poem, Matt. Yeah, that's because I, I feel like of all of the historical figures you might be i think feudal lord is definitely one of them <laughs> just a chap with his sheep you'd be like do you have time for this 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 is my flock actually by the way <laughs> fyi maybe you should tend to it no 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 it's not it's not so much that it's not it's not working hard it's the promises he's making he's making some big promises and i don't think he can live up to these promises and we'll get into this in a minute when we get into the poem right but this is the story of a labour of love, and there's a shit ton of labour in there. I'm not sure he's really thought through what he's promising, basically. So anyway, let's get into it, right? Let's get into it, because there's some deep analysis to be done on this. If you listen to last week's uh, episode, you'll know that I now have mastered poetry. I get it. Come live with me and be my love. Bold, bold opening, but got no problems with it. It's pretty cool. Pretty cool opening line, pretty sexy, pretty forward. Nice. Well done, Chris. And we will all the pleasures prove that valleys, groves, hills and fields, woods or steepy mountain yield. So I took that to mean that all of those things, the the valleys, the groves, the hills, uh, they all have pleasure. There's pleasure in all of those things. And he wants to experience that by getting, getting down and dirty in that area. Yeah, he definitely wants to extract all the goodness from nature and use it for his own sexual ends. Yeah. <laughs> maybe I say romantic, maybe not sexual. Passionate might be better. Dirty boy. So yeah, he opens up pretty strong. Like he's, There's no messing around in that, is there? He's, he's saying, come live with me and we're going to bonk. <laughs> well, before he likes to tease because before that he says, we will sit upon the rocks. So he doesn't go straight for it. Well, no, he's, he's uh, that, that's the second stanza, isn't it? So yeah, He's a master of the art of seduction. And we will sit upon the rocks, seeing the shepherds feed their flocks. Fine. By shallow rivers to whose falls, melodious birds sing madrigals, right? It's my first issue, Matt. A shallow river doesn't have a fall? Yes, exactly. But more so, sheep notoriously thick. Who keeps their sheep near a waterfall? Well, it's not a waterfall, is it? It's a shallow river. So what are these falls then? I think the falls are the sounds. What? By shallow rivers to whose falls melodious birds sing madrigals. So it's not, there's not a waterfall. I think it's like a trickly, little trickly river going sort of maybe downhill. So it's not a raging torrent. <laughs> raging torrent. Just full of drowned yeah. sheep. <laughs> I'm replying because they're too, too stupid. Just launching sheep over this waterfall. All right, because that's the image I have. Like, bloody hell, they've done it again. <laughs> Like every morning you come out, how many are left? Three. How many did you have yesterday? 400. Where are they all? 
bottom of the, <laughs> bottom of the falls. Uh. Oh, okay, right. So that's not a waterfall. Understood. That's good, right? So I, he's a better shepherd than I had him down. I'm not that I know a lot about shepherding, but if I was a shepherd, I wouldn't keep my sheep near a waterfall. I'd put somewhere else or put a fence up. Do you reckon you could give it a crack, shepherding? Mm, yeah. No, mm, it's like my dream, isn't it? To be a shepherd? Yeah, it's right up there. To be a fell farmer, to sort of heft them to a fell, to spend my days just in contemplation up on the fell whilst my sheep graze. It seems like a hard but honest life, Matt, and I like that. You could probably take up spoon whittling or something as well on the side while you're shepherding. <laughs> I could do. I'd have a dog. I'd have a, I'd have a lovely companion. You'd be too busy keeping your flock away from a waterfall. No, I wouldn't, because I wouldn't. That's not where I'd take them. <laughs> I'd probably start penning sexy letters to ladies in the local community. Well, third stanza is where it starts getting a bit sexier, doesn't it? It's, he's like, I'll make thee beds of roses. <clears throat> oh, hello. And a thousand fragrant posies. Well, oh. this is where he starts to make promises that I don't think he can keep. He needs access to a lot of roses. That's what I'm thinking. I don't think roses grow sort of wild in the English countryside, do they? Posies, maybe. But beds of roses? Tricky. Also uncomfortable. A lot of thorns. But my problem is really with the... I will make thee a bed of roses and a thousand fragrant posies. A thousand? That's a lot of posies, mate. He's gone big, isn't he? Let's say it takes you five minutes per posy. Yeah. That's 5,000 minutes. Divide that by 60. 83 hours. Whoa. It's two working weeks. Full time. Give or take. And obviously you can't do that because you've got the sheep to look He's after. Got sheep so. to look after. He hasn't got time to do a thousand posies. That's two. That's more like two months, isn't it? Two to three months, really. He's over-promising. If he's got maybe two or three hours a night to spend on posy making, well, that's 41 and a half days of posy making. Over a month, posy making. You know, ridiculous. And on top of that, he's going to make her fair-lined slippers for the cold. It's nice of him. How many hours would you say are in a pair of slippers? Handmade. Oh god, god! We're looking at another I mean, forty hours, I'd say. Yeah, yeah, if, if yeah. They're, days, if they're sh- days. If they're sheepskin slippers, right? If he's making them from scratch, from sheepskin, there's even more work in that. You're talking even more hours, right? Let's say those fair line slippers. Let's say they're another mm, 120 hours. Got to be honest with you here. I noticed that uh, old Marlowe Craftley, like every supplier in the world, has not nailed down the delivery dates. <laughs> <laughs> for any of these products. He's promising beds of roses and a thousand fragrant posies, a cap of flowers and some slippers and all the rest of it. But, you know, if I'm the lady I'm reading this, I'm asking when. Is this on signing the contract, as it were? Because that's what he's saying, is it? I want to know when I'm expected to get these. Could be one to two years, really. True. It is true. I'll be looking at uh, some sort of bonus structure for on-time delivery. Yeah, I think that's fair. It's very non-committal. It's going to make her a cap of flowers. That's a bit quicker, that one, isn't it? You can rustle up a cap of flowers in a couple of hours, I reckon. And a kirtle, but I don't know what a kirtle is. Do you know what a kirtle is? A kirtle is an archaic noun referring to a woman's gown or outer petticoat. Oh. It comes from the old English kirtle of Germanic origin, probably based on Latin kirtus, short. Now we know. It's making a short dress, a short, short gown. Dress. Yeah, fair enough. Broided all with leaves of myrtle. All right, fine. So you've made a lot of promises there. Like you say, no delivery date, but no matter what, a lot of effort. Next stanza, he says, a gown. So he's still making a gown made of the finest wool, which from our pretty lambs we pull. So, But you notice here, he uh, slips in, which from our pretty lambs 
Weeple. <laughs> He's putting her to work at this point. She's not only a new love, she's also a new hire into his uh, sheep shearing firm. Yeah. If you live on a farm, you work on a farm. That's the old motto, isn't it? I don't think it is. I, made, I just made it up, but you know what I mean. <laughs> a man who's never lived on a farm <laughs> says. <laughs> a man who grew up in London has been to the countryside a handful of times. But from this, I got a little bit of a, the Good Life vibes. Oh, yeah. Do you remember The Good Life? Did you ever watch it? I know of The Good Life. I never really watched it oh. because a, a program about living off the land in any way does not appeal to me. But I know that it would appeal to you massively. Well, quite young. I'd say I was probably mm, 10 or 11 when it used to be on. And it was a repeat when it was on when I was younger. But I really fancied Felicity Kendall, who was in it. Oh, amazing. Let's give her a shout out. Yeah. Big love, Felicity. Just giving uh, Felicity a quick Google. Oh, please. Yeah, have a look. Absolute mocha. Felicity Kendall, good life. I think what we notice, Matt, is that she's very wholesome. I would not have pegged you for a Felicity Kendall fan. Would you not? Maybe I'm misremembering. No. I don't, I'm not sure I've ever looked at her since I was maybe 10 Hang years on. old. This is a little bit um, laddie looking at pictures of women. Hang on. Can you, can you see her there? Oh, yeah, there she is. No, she's hot stuff. I don't know if it's laddie to say that you have a crush on somebody. I think that's fine. Oh, good. If, oh, <laughs> even okay. if they were in their 30s in the 70s. <laughs> that's fine. Being, you know. You like who you like, Matt. Love is love. <laughs> I think saying love is love to Fisty Kendall might weird her out. <laughs> I think her character was a large part of it as well. Like I said, very wholesome. It sort of began that whole quest. Is that where it started? I think it might be. Is that where that this... might be the, the oh, acorn wow. to my wholesomeness tree of desire. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Rich loved nothing more to than to marry a quiet librarian. <laughs> <laughs> Got pretty close. Do you have a premier product or sensational service that Poetry Bloke listeners would love? Advertise with us to reach an audience who love to laugh, are obviously very cool and sophisticated, and have immaculate taste. I mean, they're here listening to this gold, aren't they? Go to poetryblokes.com forward slash advertising to advertise with us today. I don't know how we move on from there. Okay, so Rich loves Lusty Kendall. Is this your version of this letter? Are you, <laughs> are you calling out to Lusty Kendall to say, listen, if you want to be my love and I'll be a shepherd, hit me up. In all the fact that you've got a wife and a small child. This whole podcast. If you want to run away, look after sheep. Matt, this whole podcast has been... a. Uh... Me playing the long game to finally be able to give a shout out to Felicity Kendall and declare my love for her. There was really no other purpose to this podcast. It's all been an elaborate ploy. Do your family and brothers know that you've fancied Felicity Kendall when you were younger? I don't know if I've ever told anybody this before, actually. I just feel that when your brothers and or dad find this out, you may be ribbed slightly as a small boy fancying Felicity Kendall. I don't know. I don't know. An understanding bunch. Having said that, I met a girl once who fancied Simba from The Lion King, so <laughs> I think you're all right. But yeah, people have got weirder crushes than Felicity Kendall. Yeah, that's that's fair. I don't think there's anything weird at all about fancying Felicity Kendall. I just wondered about in your family environment when you were like seven or eight or whatever, if anybody knew. I'm not sure I declared it. I've always kept that sort of thing to myself. It was, a, it was like a smouldering passion <laughs> burning away. <laughs> it's been burning away for 23 years. <laughs> Him and Felicity Kendall are going to um, pull lamb's wool and make a gown of finest wool. Uh, then they're going to make some slippers 
And then he sort of suddenly he blings it up a bit. It's all wholesome and living off the land. And then he's got some gold buckles. Who needs gold buckles on a farm? He's trying to draw her in. He needs someone to entice her. Well, I don't think she's that fickle. I think she's she's going for the vistas and the lifestyle. She's not going for the gold buckles. The waterfall. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So anyway, then the second from last stanza. Again, he's still making things. He's making things, making things. A belt of straw and ivy buds. Don't really know what that is. Straw belts? Doesn't sound like the sturdiest thing to use. With coral clasps and amber studs. So then that's it then. That's the last thing he promises. But that he seems to start off promising things that are like within the realms of possibility. And he ends up just sort of rambling, like over-promising. Like whoever he's talking to looks just doesn't look impressed. He keeps amping it up, amping it up and amping it up until he ends up with coral clasps and amber studs. He's like, I don't know. No idea what that is. I think this stanza is the one that makes it sound like this is more of a classified ad in the Times or something, because <laughs> the third and fourth line, and if these pleasures may thee move, come and live with me and be my love. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> if you like what I've put out here, I've laid out my stall. If you like what you see, get in touch. P.O. Box 474. Do you think at the bottom of this poem, there'd be those little rip-off slips with his return address on? Remember at university when people were like, they'd print an ad and then at the bottom, there'd be lots of little strips of paper that people could rip off that had the contact number on. <laughs> yeah. It'd be like that, but with a farm address on it. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Poetry Blokes for more hilarious poetry-related content. So anyway, I think by this point, he's getting a bit desperate in terms of sort of trying to woo her. He's sort of promising more and more strange stuff living in a bit of a fantasy land a desperate man that's the sense i'm getting this poem took a turn <laughs> look matt i'm just delving into what's there <laughs> the psyche of a shepherd well a poet slash shepherd the last stanza interests me does it tell me more yeah me more. because in sort of the vein of trying to make the proposition more compelling and adding stuff on his final stanza is the shepherd swains shall dance and sing for thy delight each may morning so he's like oh don't worry i'm I'm gonna do all this stuff for you but also all my little helpers all my little workforce i'm gonna force them to dance for your delight (laughs) for every morning in may yeah how'd you like that and then he goes and if these delights thy mind may move if you like the idea of boss labor and having my team essentially dance for your pleasure every may morning then live with me and be my love so get in touch. He's roping more people into this ridiculous high cost wooing session. Absolute on. maniac. So I suppose, I mean, quite a journey, actually. Quite an emotional journey through this poem. Sort of felt quite ambivalent towards Christopher Marlowe when we started reading it. And now he's left a bit of a bitter taste in my mouth, Matt. I'm not sure I like him. <laughs> Do you know anything about Christopher Marlowe? I have a guess. Is the guess no? Correct. He's an interesting figure because there are some rumours that he is actually Shakespeare. What? No. Yeah. With, with those, this nonsense. Those are the rumours, bro. <laughs> so I thought, yeah, we should touch on Christopher Marlowe's biography because there's a bit to talk about there because it's um, shrouded in mystery. I think his biography is one you're going to like. So if you're ready, shall we delve into the life and times of Christopher Marlowe? Yes, please. Was that a yes? I said, uh, yes, please. Christopher Marlowe was born to John Marlowe and Elizabeth Archer, Canterbury, and he was baptised on the 26th of February, 1564. 
His dad, John, was a shoemaker and a notably argumentative man, a characteristic he shared with his son, who was involved in several violent confrontations. In 1589, Marlowe got into a bout, which is a a fight, in which a man was killed and he was briefly imprisoned. In May 1592, he was arrested after a street fight. He was definitely briefly imprisoned because he's killed a man in 1589 and he's out on the streets again in 1592. So quick turnaround there. In 1578, at about 14, Marlowe was enrolled as a scholar of King's School in Canterbury. And in 1580, he went to Corpus Christi College, Cambridge, on a scholarship given to scholars who could, if possible, quote, make a verse. Around 1585, he started working as a government agent. Exactly what Marlowe did is unclear, but he is likely to have been part of Sir Francis Walsingham's intelligence network. Chrissy Marlowe was a spy. Yeah, brawler, poet, spy. Yeah, and also thespian, because his theatrical career kicked off in the later 1580s with Tamburlaine the Great, first performed in London in about 1587 to great success. A sequel was quickly produced and the plays were printed together in 1590. The chronology of the rest of Marlowe's plays is uncertain, but the first recorded performance of The Jew of Malta was in 1592 and The Massacre at Paris in 1593. The sophisticated and poetic Edward II may be one of Marlowe's last works. This play's depiction of a love relationship between two men has often been taken as evidence of Marlowe's own homosexuality. Whoa. Another man. what did I say at the top of the podcast? Remind me. said there's been no pronouns in this. No pronouns. It doesn't make it clear. No pronouns. We said it could be a man, could be a woman, could be a sheep. Someone who's going to be tempted by slippers, a petticoat, and a belt of straw. Could be anyone could be anyone. Another major work from the 1590s is the sensual homoerotic poem Hero and Leander. Rumours about Marlowe's unconventional religious and political beliefs intensified before his death. After the posting of an anti-immigrant libel signed Tamburlaine in London on 5th of May 1593, Marlowe's lodgings were raided and his roommate Thomas Kidd arrested. Under interrogation, Kidd accused Marlowe of blasphemy. On 18th of May, the Privy Council issued a warrant for his arrest. A few days later, the council received a document compiled by the spy Robert Baines, listing 19 dangerous beliefs allegedly held by Marlowe, including that Christ was a bastard and his mother dishonest, and that all they that love not tobacco and boys were fools. Wow. On 30th of May, Marlowe was stabbed to death during a fight at a house in Deptford, apparently after an argument about a bill. The incident's relation, if any, to Marlowe's investigation by the Privy Council is unknown. He was about 29 years old. Another one who lived his entire life in his 20s. (laughs) Yeah, a whole entire life in about 10 years. (laughs) So much in that time. (laughs) Absolutely crazy. Well, fair enough. Well, fair enough, Chris. Packed it in. From this evidence we've got, he was a spy who liked smoking men and fighting. He also had some daring religious beliefs and was stabbed to death. Quite a character. Quite a character. I mean, if you're going to be a spy, that's the way to do it, isn't it, really? Well, actually, it's no, that's really, wrong, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's the opposite. opposite it's the opposite. 
not low key at all, just out there fighting. I was kind of thinking in a sort of like anti-hero James Bond style, but then I realised that James Bond is also the worst spy ever in history because he turns up everyone and goes, ah, Mr. Bond. <laughs> Shit spy. The only worst spies are those two Russian fellas. <laughs> he went to Winchester. No, uh, Salisbury, wasn't it? Went to Salisbury to look. Oh, Salisbury. Yeah, uh, Europe's tallest spire. <laughs> so good. They clearly read the briefing notes they've been yeah. given by intelligence. Yeah, went home because it was cold, even Specific. though one of them grew up in Siberia. Classic. <laughs> Classic stories. So that's Christopher Marlowe. Yeah, controversial figure. Maybe Shakespeare, some people say. He was added on as co author to three plays, I think, fairly recently. Can't remember which ones off the top of my head, but what a character. Yeah, well, so what are the links with the Shakespeare stuff then? Why do people think that? Well, there's a sort of classist argument, I suppose, some people might say, in that some people just don't think that Shakespeare at that time came from a family that was noted enough to be a poet and a playwright, and that, obviously, Christopher Marlowe had a slightly more orthodox route, as it were. But then other people just say, well, that's just rubbish. Maybe Shakespeare was born in Stratford-Bonavon, and he was middle class, and he happened to be a really good playwright. But it's all a bit murky around that time anyway. You just can't really make out who's who. I mean, we don't even know what Shakespeare looked like, really. So it's best guesses at... Like, well, we think this painting is of Shakespeare. We think that this woodcutting thing is of Shakespeare, but nobody really knows. I have read The Jew of Malta by Marlowe, though. It was quite good. So, Well, I, I've yeah. been to Shakespeare's house. And now yeah, I'm me too. I'm a bit cheated here because it might not have been quite the man we thought he was. Yeah, was this dad a tanner? I don't know. can't remember. I feel like it was. can't really remember anything. Weren't paying attention. Although Marlowe's dad was a cobbler, was he? Shoemaker, yeah. So it wasn't exactly illustrious lineage either. Who knows, eh? Not us. Clearly not us. And on the point of not knowing, would you like to share your engineer's overview? Oh, yeah. I've written one this week. That's good. The Passionate Shepherd to His Love by Chris Marlowe. Come and be my love. I have a flock of sheep. I'll make you things of progressively less use. Come and be my love. Well, sign me up. <laughs> well, thank you, Rich. That's a lovely overview of a very passionate missive to your love. Join us next week when we look at Do Not Go Gentle Into That Good Night by Dylan Thomas. Do you have a well-known poem you'd like us to discuss? Or maybe you've written your own engineer's overview you'd like to share. And if you have an embarrassing poetry-related story, well, then you definitely have to get in touch. Go to poetryblokes.com forward slash submissions now to let us know all about it and you could play a part in the next show. Poetry Blokes is created and hosted by Matthew Adamo and Richard Gochran. Our theme music is Press Start by The Laszlo Project. Buy their music by going to bandcamp.com and searching The Laszlo Project. Our producer is Dominic Gore. 